At Wildwood Community Church, we are for following Jesus together to the glory of God. We're for the church, for the community, for the nations, and for the next generation. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, friends, I'm excited for the opportunity we have to look into God's Word together again today. We, we do this every Sunday where we will open up God's Word and read it together and seek to understand it so that we might know more of who God is, that we might follow Him in faith. And when we are in this fall, uh, what we're doing is we're in a sermon series called Authentic that is based out of Matthew chapters 21 through 23. What we see in those chapters of Scripture is that Jesus came to Jerusalem for the last week of his earthly life, and what he found there was a lot of imitation religion, but not a lot of genuine faith. And I think his experience in Jerusalem that last week is a great reminder for all of us of the imitations that can creep into our spiritual life as well, even as we find out what it looks like for us to have a genuine faith following Jesus together to the glory of God. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at verses from these chapters as we pursue an authentic faith together. But as we get started today, really part two of this series, looking at some verses in Matthew 21, I want to just reflect for a moment on the reality that all of us live in a world that has a lot of imitations in it. We live in a world where there are a lot of things that have been imitated. And and if you need any proof of that, just go to Walmart and look on the beverage aisle where you will find Dr. Thunder, right? Um, This elixir is a knockoff of what? Dr. Pepper, right? Uh, But it's not just confined to to soft drinks. Uh, It also branches into clothing. And if you grew up in the 80s like I do, you know what is behind me. That is a Knights of the Round Table logo. It looks kind of like a polo, but the stick is going out and not back. Um, This is just a replica, an imitation inside of our world. But maybe there's some others that you may not be aware of. And one of them is a little coffee shop that I ran into in the city of Bethlehem. And I guess that Starbucks has not made it all the way to the West Bank. And so instead, there was a Stars and Bucks cafe. Uh, We live in a world that has a lot of imitations. Uh, But not only that, but sometimes they come even a little closer to home. I asked my son for permission to share this photo. But you'll notice that my son was getting ready for basketball practice one night. And he and his friend had an idea uh, to put some AirPods in, like they see NBA players do, for practice. The only problem is he didn't have any AirPods or a phone. So they took some Q-tips and they cut them in half, (laughs) shared them for the entire team, and they were all jamming to whatever soundtrack was playing inside of their head uh, during practice that day. See, we live in a world that has a number of imitations. And, and honestly, those examples I just gave, those examples are, are all pretty harmless, right? As a matter of fact, they may even be beneficial. Save you some bucks on a soft drink. Um, save you some bucks on some AirPods. Uh, you can try that this afternoon if you want to. Um, all those things can be even somewhat beneficial, But there are other imitations in our world, friends, that are a lot more destructive, that are a lot more costly. I have another friend that hosted a garage sale several months ago, and at that garage sale, somebody came up and they they bought some products, they bought some things they were selling, and they handed them a crisp 
what looked like a $100 bill, but in fact it was a counterfeit. And the pain and the, the loss that was associated with that. Well, maybe you've never had somebody try to hand you a counterfeit, at least that you know of. But also, you might have experienced something like a phone call from somebody who is pretending to be the Social Security Administration, something that's happened in my world the last couple of weeks. I've gotten a number of phone calls telling me they're with the Social Security Administration and that we are having major problems and they needed some personal information from me in order to correct the situation, and it was all a fraud. It was all a scam. Friends, we live in a world that has imitations. Some of them are harmless and some of them are costly. I tell you that this morning and remind us of that reality because when Jesus came into Jerusalem, he found an imitation religion that existed among a number of people that he met in the city of Jerusalem at that time. And friends, that imitation religion that he, that he found was not of the stars and bucks variety. It was not of the Dr. Thunder variety. It was more of the counterfeit bill variety. It was costly because people who were trying to hide inside of an imitation religion would find themselves under the judgment of God. And Jesus comes and like a loving God that he is, he, he, he comes and he confronts that reality. He confronts that imitation and invites people to hide, not in their imitation religion, but to hide instead in him. And today as we look at Matthew chapter 21, verses 18 through 22, and verses 28 through 32, what we're going to see in those verses is Jesus inviting us to leave the imitation religion and to pursue an authentic relationship with him, because it's too costly to remain in the fake I want to read for us the the verses today, beginning in verse 18, and after I read those verses for us, we're going to back up and see three things today about pursuing an authentic relationship with God. Verse 18 continues the story after Jesus enters into Jerusalem, and it says, in the morning as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it, and he found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what you have seen done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. And then continuing on in verse 28, what do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first, and he said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind, and he went. And he went to the other son, and he said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But then he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? And they said, the first. And Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, The tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. 
Now, in these verses today, I mentioned we're going to see three things. But before we see those three things, I think that this first section that I read requires a little bit of initial explanation. You see, when we read these verses about Jesus cursing a fig tree, sometimes in, in our modern eyes to, and to our modern ears, this seems like a, an egregious act of what Jesus has done. I mean, how dare he go to a tree and kill it? I mean, is that not a neglect or an abuse of the environment in some way? And it, and it challenges our modern eyes and our modern ears. But let me just place this in a little bit of context so we understand what Jesus is doing here. He, he is not here discouraging us from recycling or from taking care of the planet where we live. But what he is doing here is he is showing a priority. People are more important to Jesus than plants. And if cursing a fruitless fig tree might lead to the salvation of a fruitless people, Jesus will make that sacrifice every time. And so Jesus comes to this tree, and he has this interaction, and in the midst of it is a great message for each of us about what it looks like to have an authentic faith. So we're going to see three things today. The first thing that we're going to see is this. Imitations don't pass inspections by omnipotent eyes. Imitations don't pass inspections by omnipotent eyes. Now, we see that in the first couple of verses of this section. Now, we need to understand really what's happening here. So, Jesus goes into the city of Jerusalem in the first 17 verses of chapter 21, and he clears out the temple, the verses we looked at last week, because of the corruption that he found there. And after he does that, he retreats back to the city of Bethany, where he spends the night with his friends, probably uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And, And after spending the night with his friends, he returns to the city of Jerusalem the following day. Now, as he is coming back to the city of Jerusalem, walking along that same Palm Sunday road, he looks on the side of the road, and there is a fig tree that has lots of leaves all over it. Now, when Jesus sees this fig tree, he's hungry. And so he goes over to that fig tree to get some breakfast. But when he gets over to that fig tree, he begins looking on that tree and he finds no fruit. Now, when we hear that and see that, we need to understand something. In Mark's gospel, he lets us know that it was not the season for figs when this incident happened. And that's true. It was April, and figs normally did not bloom and and go into full fruit until June. But, But here is something that we also need to know. Fig trees in that region of Palestine in the first century, if they had leaves that came out in the spring like this tree did, and they were going to produce a mature fruit in June, which they were supposed to do, they would produce an immature fruit a couple of months early that was kind of difficult to eat but would be present on a tree that would eventually produce real fruit. It was kind of the first fruits on that tree. And those first fruits, sour as they were, were things that that people who were in dire need and who were poor would come along and pick those first fruits and eat them. Because even though they didn't taste all that great, they could satisfy hunger and provide some nutrition. So Jesus comes up to this tree, and because of the presence of the leaves, he assumes that it would also have this this immature first fruit. 
But upon closer examination of that tree, he finds that it has not even that immature fruit. And if it doesn't have the immature fruit, he knows it's not going to produce any mature fruit later on. And so Jesus curses that tree, and the tree at once withers and dies. Now, what was happening as he did that? Was he just really hungry and kind of grumpy when he was hungry? No, there's something far more significant going on here. Jesus, still with the experience of the temple that he had the day before rumbling through his head, approaches a fig tree. And fig trees were trees that were symbols of the nation of Israel. A very prominent symbol of the nation at that time was a fig tree. And so Jesus comes up to this symbol of the nation of Israel, expecting to find fruit because it is very leafy. But instead of finding that fruit, he finds none, and so he curses it. And this is a, very much a picture of what he saw in Jerusalem. See, when Jesus went into Jerusalem the previous day, and it, it really was similar to the experience he had with the religious leaders and a number of the people in the nation of Israel throughout his ministry, he found the leaves of religion. He found a temple with a lot of costumes and activity and sacrifices and pomp and circumstance. He found a lot of leaves on that bush, but he did not find any true fruit of an authentic relationship with God. And so since he did not see that fruit in the nation, he uses this tree to indicate what happens when authentic faith is not present. Jesus says, when authentic faith is not present in my people, then a judgment will come. And I think he was talking about in that first century, the rejection of the nation of Israel caused the delay of the kingdom being established. It, it caused that generation being separated from God, those that rejected Christ and the nation of Israel at that time, and, and on and on and on. Jesus was, was talking and using this tree to make a point about the fruitlessness he saw inside of his people. Now, you and I are not first century Jews, and we live in Norman, Oklahoma today. So what connection do we have with this passage? Well, well here is, is, is where I think that we need to, to, to think about the, the principles that are illustrated inside of this story. You see, what we see in this incident is that Jesus, in his omnipotent eyes, is able to look at a leafy tree and tell that it is fruitless. He is not fooled. He doesn't allow the picture of religion to fool his eyes from knowing that there is no authentic relationship with God that underlies it. And if that's the case, and if Jesus does not change yesterday, today, or forever, that means that when Jesus comes to us and he looks at our soul, he is not distracted by the leaves of our religion either. That means when he, when he looks at us, he is not going to be distracted by how many Sundays we've attended and how many gold stars by our name. He's not going to be distracted by the number of Christian t-shirts we have or concerts we've attended or conferences we have gone to. He's not going to be distracted by how many hours we've listened to K-Love or how indignant we get when it's happy holidays is said instead of Merry Christmas. He's not going to look at the leaves of our religion and use it as the measure of understanding if we are rightly connected to him. He's looking for a fruit that is something deeper. 
Now, friends, when, it, when I say that, at some level, that ought to be terrifying to us, right? It ought to be terrifying to us that if Jesus were to show up, he would want to see more than just religious activity. He'd want to see more than a fish on the back of our car. He'd want to see something more substantive. Well, what is it that he wants to see? What is it that, he is, that he's looking for? Now, at first glance, we might think that what he was looking for is perfection. What he was looking for in this, this people was that they would have everything right, that they would never have sinned, that they would be doing everything good. And when I said, Jesus appearing before you, you might have been scanning through, well, there's what I did last night or last week or last year or last month or last minute or whatever it is. And we're, we're, we're nervous because we know that our lives are imperfect. Guess what? Jesus knows you're imperfect as well. Already knows it. And while you were still sinners, he still sent his son to die for you. When Jesus comes, it is not perfection in you that he seeks as the fruit of an authentic relationship with him. He understands our sinfulness. He, he calls us to holiness, but he understands our sinfulness. He provided for it on the cross. So what is it that he was seeking from them, if not perfection? I think the picture of what he was seeking from us is found in a number of Old Testament passages that would be good for us to remember today. The fruit that he was seeking in the first century and the fruit that he's seeking in us, I think, is the same fruit that David prays about in Psalm 51. In Psalm 51, verse 16, he says, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. But the sacrifices, God, that you desire are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. What is the fruit that Jesus was looking for that he did not see in the first century? It was the fruit of brokenness, of understanding that they had fallen short of the glory of God. they, They could not make themselves righteous enough. And Jesus expected them to understand that. And through the ministry of John the Baptist and through the ministry that he led for three years in his earthly ministry, there was an expectation that they would realize that they were sinful and broken and fallen and they would be contrite over their sin. In the first century, that wasn't found among many. Friends, is it found in you? Is there a brokenness inside of you over your sin? You know, sometimes when we think of the fruit that what God desires from us, we think it's a perfect life, and certainly we, we want to follow him and pursue holiness, but, but even in our greatest efforts, we will fall short. The question, friends, is are we broken over our sin? Do we know that we are people in need of a Savior? It's one of the fruits that Jesus was looking for that was lacking if he to look in your soul today, would he find a brokenness there? The second fruit, though, that Jesus was looking for, I think we would look to John chapter 1, verse 12 to find, and, and that was a reception or receiving Jesus instead of rejecting him. John chapter 1, verse 12 says that to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be children of God, even to those who believed in his name. There was an expectation and a hope that part of the fruit that Jesus would find is a a nation that would receive him as their savior, that they would embrace him and believe in him. 
But instead, what he found was that they rejected him. Jesus had a desire that they would not just be broken over their sin, but they would see Jesus as the one who was capable of forgiving their sin. And they would hide not in their religion, not in the leaves of their religion, but they would hide in him. Friends, if Jesus were to look at you today, not only would he see a contrite heart, but would he see someone who is finding their solace and their seeking their protection in him? Someone who is trusting and believing that Jesus' death on the cross is sufficient to pay the penalty for your sin and you're finding your hope for all eternity in that. The resurrection life that he lives is a life that he shares with you. Is that where you're finding your solace and your hope? That was a fruit that Jesus was desiring in the first century and it's a fruit that he desires in us today as well. But not only is there those two things, but I think another fruit that Jesus was looking for that he didn't find in the first century is found in Micah 6, 8. Micah 6, 8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. See, Jesus had a desire in the first century that when he showed up that this people who were broken over their sin and who were receiving him as their Savior would also be exhibiting a life of love and mercy and justice towards those around them. Instead, what he saw was a nation that had built a system to profit over everyone else who came to the temple to worship. It disgusted him just as it disgusted us last week as we looked at it. The question is, is that fruit of love and mercy injustice welling up in your life as well as you are broken before God and receiving the sacrifice that Jesus has given for your sin and for your life and for your eternity. Friends, this is the fruit that Jesus was looking for. And in Israel in their day, all he saw was the leaves of religion, but not the fruit of repentance. If you were to look at our lives today, would he see those things as well? Now, here's the thing. Healthy trees have leaves, right? Trees that produce fruit have leaves. That's why Jesus went to that tree. So when I listed off those things and the music we listen to and the activities that we participate in and the the, the scripture that we read and the church we attend and all those kinds of things, it's not that those things are bad, right? Those leaves are on healthy trees, But just know that we cannot hide in those leaves. Jesus is calling us to a fruit that is more significant than that. He's calling us to a fruit that comes only in repentance, in brokenness, in trusting Christ, and in following him and exhibiting love and mercy and kindness to others. Friends, as the Son of God looks at your soul, Are those the fruits that he sees? Is it just a blank twig right now? Is it a leafy religious experience or is there a genuine fruit? Friends, whatever state you're in right now, just know, we'll talk about this more in a moment, that he is calling you to fruit. That's his hope, his expectation. And it begins by trusting in Christ. You see, 
these imitation religion doesn't pass the inspection of the omnipotent eyes of God. There's a second thing that we see inside of this passage. And that second thing that we see in this passage is, is this, that authentic faith produces impossible outcomes through believing prayer. Authentic faith produces impossible outcomes through believing prayer. Now, we see this in verses 20 through 22, and, and I think this is just humorous because I, I can see myself in this story, right? So Jesus walks over to this fig tree, he curses it, and it immediately withers and dies, The disciples hear this, they see this, but they miss the bigger point that we just talked about. The the, the representation, the living parable, if you will, of the tree and its representation of Israel and on and on and on. They watch all of that, they hear all of this, but all they can think about is, man, how did you do that? Jesus, that is amazing. I mean, you just spoke to the tree and it withered and died just like that? Are you kidding me? How did you do that? That was amazing. This is the, the talk of the disciples. And, and honestly, I could, I could see myself in that, right? Can you see yourself in that? I mean, this happens. Um, you're, you're not really as concerned about anything else. You're not trying to find Jesus' breakfast from a different tree or anything like that. You're just like, wait, look at that. That is wild. How did that happen? That's the experience that happened in that encounter. But Jesus hears their response, and he rolls with it. And he takes an opportunity to teach them another great truth about prayer. And and what he teaches them is basically something like this. He says, hey, you think that was something? You think that, that me taking a leafy but fruitless tree and cursing it, you think that's amazing? Just wait until you pray, and on the other side of that prayer, somebody is resurrected from the dead. I mean, you think that's something? Wait till that happens. And that is an experience the disciples had later on. Jesus says, you know, you think it's really amazing that this tree withered? Just wait until one of you is imprisoned, and the rest of you gather at a house in town to pray for them, and suddenly that person is going to be released from prison in response to the prayer, and then Peter's going to come and knock on the door, and you're going to open it up, and you're not even going to believe that it's really him because you prayed, and he came out, and God answered your prayer. If you think it's amazing that The fig tree withered and died. Just wait until you have that experience of praying and Peter gets released from prison. I mean, he says, this is amazing. Jesus was setting them up to let them know that in response to their believing prayer, they would see more amazing things than just trees being withered. And he uses this this, this illustration. He talks about being a mountain mover all the way back to during the, the era of Israel's history of the Babylonian captivity, there was some writing at that time, and they talked about mountain movers being people who did the impossible kinds of things. And Jesus lets them know, you can be one of those mountain movers. You can see God do amazing things as you trust in him through believing prayer. Something the disciples experienced in the life of the early church and those stories that I mentioned from the book of Acts. But it's not just confined to that time. But there are are prayers that God answers throughout the history of the church. I think about George Mueller and his story where he wrote copious journals in England as he cared for orphans of all of the prayer requests that he would bring before the Lord and the thousands of specific answers that he got to those prayers. 
And we're encouraged that, that mountains still are moved in response to believing prayer. And it's not just something that happened a long time ago or in England in the 1800s, but friends, it's also something that happens even today. Now, I, I don't want you to grade your prayer answers for a moment. I want you just, just to answer this question. If you have seen, and you're so bold to be able to make this testimony today, if you have prayed for something and seen God answer it in your lifetime, would you just raise your hand? Friends, look around. This is a room full of testimonies of a God who answers prayer. Jesus reminds the disciples that when their faith in God is big, they pray a lot. Now, it's not mentioned directly in the passage, but I think a a parallel statement might be said, if our faith in us is big, we pray a little. But if our faith in God is big, we pray a lot. If we understand that our ability is small for the things that matter most, then we will spend our time trusting the one on our knees who is able to do far more than we can even ask or think. There's a connection to the size of our prayer and our uh, size of our faith and our time in prayer. Now, when I make those statements about prayer, you probably have some questions that come into your mind. Because let's be honest, I can ask the question, if you've had a prayer answered, raise your hand, and most of the room raises their hand. But if I were to say, how many of you have had a prayer that you have asked and you feel like you got no answer, or you got the answer that didn't make sense to you, or you feel like whatever, you know, a number of other hands would go up in this moment. So how do we reconcile this reality that God encourages us to pray, and yet sometimes we don't get what we think is the right answer or God's response. Well, a couple of quotes I want to read that will help us make sense of that are from two biblical scholars I greatly respect. One of them is a seminary professor of mine named Tom Constable, and he says this of verse 22. He says, verse 22 assumes what Jesus taught elsewhere about prayer, namely that God will grant the petitions of his people when they are in harmony with his will. His point was that when we pray, we should believe that God can do anything we request and that he will do what is consistent with his will and what he has promised to do. Friends, we can go before the Lord and and ask for all things, believing that he can do all things, but knowing that he will only do what is best in response. But even knowing that, we still have questions in our, our minds, right? There are times that we have questions where we think, well, yeah, but does prayer really do anything? Pastor John MacArthur says this. He says, whatever our finite minds may lead us to think, there is no inconsistency between God's sovereignty and man's faith because God's word clearly teaches both. It is not the believer's responsibility to fathom God's inscrutable ways, but to obediently follow his clear teaching. Persistent prayer that is believing God's word cannot be inconsistent with the operation of God's own sovereign will, because in his sovereign wisdom and grace, he commands such prayer and obligates himself to honor it. God is so sovereign that he can even use our prayers as a part of his sovereign plans. And so we are invited to have a big faith in God that reveals itself in a big prayer to him. Now, if there is a connection 
between faith and prayer, I think it's, it's worthwhile for us to ask the question, if, if our lives were to be investigated, how big a faith is revealed by the amount of time that we each individually spend in prayer? Is our faith as big as we want it to be? Is our time in prayer as rich as we desire? The reality is for most of us, including me, this is an area where we can grow. And even with our our staff and our elders this year, one of the things that I'm encouraging us is to spend more time in in prayer together. But I don't want that to be confined just to leadership here in the church, but I want to invite all of us to pray more together. And so we have a, a vehicle to help us pray more together as a church family, and that is to circulate some prayer requests together through an initiative that we're calling Prayer One. And what this initiative is, is that a couple of times a month, we will circulate to the body uh, some specific prayer requests about things that are happening. Uh, One of those uh, bulletins will be focused around what God is doing outside of Wildwood around the world through our missionary partners. And today, inside of your, uh, as you leave, you'll get one of these little handouts that lists a number of prayer requests that you can lift up regarding what God is doing through Wildwood's missionary partners around the world, where we can be a part of moving some mountains together this way. But then also we'll have other times where we're going to be submitting requests about things that are happening inside of Wildwood. And we would love for you to to get those, not just this morning as we pass these out, but get them on a regular basis. And so on the bottom of this page, there's instructions about how you can subscribe to get uh, these prayer requests delivered to your email inbox a few times a month. So we just want to be a people who are praying to our big God because we have a big faith in him and asking him to move some mountains. So an authentic faith provides impossible outcomes through believing prayer. But I want to conclude this morning with one last thought, and it's from this little parable that Jesus tells in verses 28 through 32. After all of this conversation, Jesus tells a story about a father who has a couple of sons, and in that story, he makes really this central point. The point that he makes is that it's not too late to trade imitation for authenticity, And he makes that point by telling a story about a man who has a couple of sons. And the man goes to those sons and he invites them to join the work in the field. And one of the sons says, no, I'm not interested in working today. But then eventually changes his mind and goes and works. And a second son says, yes, father, I will work today, but then never shows up on the job. And Jesus asks the question, which of these sons is doing the will of his father? And the answer is obvious the one that actually showed up. And what Jesus was saying in that moment was he said, I don't care what you have said in the past. I don't care what leaves are on your religious tree. I don't care how many prayers you have publicly prayed out loud so that everybody's impressed by your religiosity or your your spirituality. But Jesus says, I want to know, are you going to show up and follow me into the field? Regardless of your past, are you going to authentically follow me today? And Jesus drew the contrast. He said, the tax collectors and the prostitutes, the very dregs of the society, they heard the message of John the Baptist. They have seen me show up on the scene, and they have repented and begun to follow me. But you, the religious leaders, though you've talked a good game, though you have a lot of leaves on your tree, are still stuck hiding in your own religion. 
friends, that message ought to greatly encourage you as it greatly encourages me. Because what it tells us is Jesus wants to know not, are you disappointed about the failure of your past? But what are you going to do today? It's not too late. By virtue of hearing this message and reading these verses, we've been invited to repent, to be contrite over our sin, to, to embrace Christ, to follow him into love and mercy and justice. Will we respond that way today? Will we believe that he's the great God and, and go to him in believing prayer and see him work even in our midst? Friends, it's not too late. Let's follow him. Father, thank you for the opportunity to worship today and thank you for the beauty of your word and the power of the gospel. Thank you, Father, that you are more interested in the authenticity of our hearts and the transformation of our entire lives and just us decorating our lives with a few leaves of religious behavior. Father, we gather and we worship and we do all of these things, but we want to have the real fruit. And so we come before you, we declare our need, our brokenness over our sin. We embrace Christ and we follow him. In Jesus' name.